Welcome to episode number 29 of Messing About in Ships. This week we bring you some sea stories about the Olympics and seasickness, our internet ports a call, and as usual, some pod safe music. <laughs> Welcome aboard to episode number 29 of Messing About in Ships. I'm Peter Mello from Sea Fever Consulting, and my usual podcasting partner is Captain John Conrad from gcaptain.com. But John has been so incredibly busy with a couple of major projects he's been working on, we were unable to coordinate our schedules over the last week. So we decided that um, I'd take the, the con on this one and... Uh, and uh, he would submit uh, his sea story via audio comment, so we'll listen to that in a few minutes. But um, for episode 29, you're in my capable hands, so let's get underway. Okay, let's get started with just a few news items here, very short, quick news items. Um, last week, uh, episode 28, uh, Internet Protocol, John's Internet Protocol, was Everywhere Magazine, and... Um, Unfortunately, as fate would have it, as soon as we published uh, the podcast, um, John got this email. It says, Dear Everywhere subscriber, you have probably heard by now that 8020 Publishing has decided to suspend publication of Everywhere magazine. Ah. Anyway, um, hopefully we weren't the kiss of death for it, but uh, uh, it sounded like a good concept. And uh, it's going to be sad to see them go, but uh, such is the way of uh, the Internet and Web 2.0. So uh, scrap that Internet protocol from last week, and hopefully we've got a couple other cool ones for you this week to make up for it. Um, we have a couple of uh, listener comments. Actually, they're actually listeners charting themselves on the chart since the last time we talked about this. And we have uh, one listener in Singapore put himself on the chart. And one listener from Crofton, Maryland, put themselves on the chart. So we appreciate it. If you do listen to the podcast, go to the podcast blog. That's messingaboutinships.com. On the left-hand sidebar, you'll see uh, a map there. You can click on that and um, enter in your, your location. We'd love to know where people are listening from. Um, and at the end of the show, we'll have all of our contact information. We hope that uh, you do check in with us, submit us audio comments, uh, regular comments through the blog or email. But uh, anyway, we look forward to hearing you, hearing from you. So um, those are basically the two short news items. And now we will get on to our uh, sea stories. Well, my sea story is about the Olympics because it's, uh, hey, it's Olympic season and um, the Olympics are almost over and we won't be able to talk about the Olympics for another couple of years. So what the heck? It's uh, only appropriate, isn't it? And this came to me via a friend. Um, his name is Roger Enright. It's actually his pen name. Um, we'll call him Roger. Roger um, was a summer intern f with me at the American Sail Training Association. We worked together on the Tall Ships Challenge series. Um, I think that might have been in 2005. It could have been 2004, but it might have been 2005. And uh, he uh, is now, he graduated college, and he's now in high finance. And uh, he's been, um, I'm sure he's extremely successful, as all former interns are, all my former interns are. 
and he writes a blog um, called Speaking from the Gulch in which he deals with a lot of finance, esoteric finance stuff. At least that's from where I sit. It's pretty esoteric. Um, but he also, he, a variety of topics gets discussed over there and um, sailing occasionally. And he sent me a note via Facebook earlier this week and said, hey, have you checked out this story about Olympic sailing? And frankly, I hadn't because, you know, I just don't see a lot of Olympic sailing stuff, certainly not on TV, not on NBC's coverage. Um, I'll talk about that a little bit later on. But um, And I haven't really seen a lot in the newspaper either. So anyway, I hadn't seen it, so I followed a link over to where he sent me and it was the NBC um, Olympics website and Gary Jobson is one of their commentators hopefully most of you know who Gary Jobson is um, if not he was, uh, he's a great sailor and sailing commentator um, America's Cup guy um, he writes a column over there and it's Gary's take and uh, this one was a golden gift Danish sailors owe much of their gold to Croatia's generosity so uh, let me just read what Gary Jobson wrote better than me recapping the whole thing. It's not that long, and uh, hopefully you enjoy it. Every now and then, something special happens in sailing that is worthy of high praise. The story of the Danish 49er team is amazing. On the way out to the race course for their medal race, Jonas Warrer and Martin Kirktop Ibsen had a commanding lead in the standings. They needed only to finish seventh or better in this final race to win gold. As the pair left the shore, the wind was blowing about twenty knots, and the seas were huge. Trouble was afoot. The Dane skiff slammed hard into a big wave, sending the mast over the side. This was the end of their gold medal quest. On their way back to the Qingdao sailing center, War and Kirktop watched as the other nine boats were sailing out to the starting line. The duel was feeling pretty low, but its luck was about to change. Back in the media center, the Croatian sailing team's coach was watching the world feed television pictures of the Danes sailing in with their masts cracked in half. He summoned his own 49er crew to rig their boat. When the Danes arrived at the launch ramp, Pavle Kostov and Pitar Kupek had their 49er rigged up and ready to go. The Croatians had been eliminated and stood in 17th place and out of the medal race. The Danish coach had already informed the race committee of the boat swap about 15 minutes before the race start. With renewed spirits, War and Kirktop headed for the starting line about a half a mile away. As they rounded the large seawall, the 49ers' starting sequence was already underway. The fleet took off, leaving the Danes in the Croat boat struggling to get to the starting line. Under the rules, boats must cross the starting line within four minutes of the actual start. Could the Danes make it? They now were in the race of their lives against the clock, not the rest of the fleet, just to get to the starting line. American's rules advisor, Dave Perry, was on the starting line watching his watch. The seconds were racing by. Several coaches out on the water and even some race committee were yelling encouragement. The Danes crossed the line with a whopping three seconds to spare. Further up the course, the 49er, was the 49er fleet was struggling. One boat after another capsized. It was a race to remember. The Danes made it across the finish line in last place. But three boats were unable to finish the race due to the equipment problems, so Wurr and Kirktop had placed seventh. A sticky issue developed after the race. The international measurers protested that the Danes' boat swap. The international jury, headed by the highly respected John Dorr of Great Britain, spent two days listening to testimony discussing the issue thoroughly. 
The jury ruled that the boat swap was proper. The seventh place finish gave the Danes 61 points. Spain, with 64, was in second. Denmark had won the goal, but the real heroes were the great sports from, from Croatia. In 1988, Canadian Finn sailor Lawrence Lemieux lost a bronze medal on a windy day in South Korea by pulling off the race course to rescue a 4070 crew from Singapore. The young 470 sailors were in serious distress and looked to be sinking. Lemieux sailed over and pulled the young sailors out of the water. He was awarded the IOC Sportsmanship Medal for his courageous act. In the generous 49er fleet from Croatia, the IOC has another strong candidate for this year's medal. Well, that's a pretty, pretty amazing story. Um, uh, not only uh, drama, but also incredible sportsmanship on the part of the Croatian sailing team. And, um, you know, these are one-design boats, so it shouldn't really matter, um, I think, uh, if something happens before the start of a race, uh, if a piece of equipment is swapped out. And that's clearly what happened in this instance. I'm not a uh, rules committee expert, but it seems to me only fair that uh, what took place, um, having the foresight to really kind of step in there and volunteer and get that belt prepared for the Danes so they could go back out and race and uh was was an amazing act of sportsmanship um, in direct contrast to I don't know how many people hopefully uh, have been watching the Olympics but how many people have um, saw the Taekwondo I believe it was a competitor who didn't who there was some controversy in his match uh, I think he got penalized or something and he ended up kicking the referee in the head so he's potentially been disqualified for life from uh, future competitions international competitions so juxtapose that against these uh, Danish and Croatian sailors, um, uh, you know, it's a pretty, pretty amazing story. I do think that uh, there was another protest, and um, I think the uh, the protest was upheld, and I think the uh, was rejected rather, and I think the Danes um, kept their their gold medal. So that's my sea story this week, and uh, hopefully you followed a little bit of the Olympics and enjoyed this story as well. Now let's. Uh, Get on to uh, John's sea story. Well, Peter, my story this week is one that gained a lot of popularity and comments. The title of the cruise ship for the seasick. Um, this is a, a replica of the Queen Elizabeth II that was built in uh, Turkey. And let me read from the article. Situated between the legendary Tauros Mountains and the sparkling turquoise Mediterranean, the Queen Elizabeth Elite Suite Hotel and Spa is a five-star luxury hotel in the guise of a massive cruise liner. The hotel has been constructed on a purpose-built harbor with ship-shaped villas, swimming pools, bars, and vistas, as well as theme park rides. Well, it's certainly an interesting concept, a uh, ship built in the middle uh, of Turkey or on the Mediterranean. Um, there, We've had a number of um, uh, articles on G-Captain, and I know Sea Fever's uh, featured a few as well, of uh, maritime-inspired architecture. There's a uh, big ship-shaped uh, shopping mall. If There's a tongue twister for you. And uh, Hong Kong. Uh, that we also covered last week. Uh, but what really gained the comments wasn't the interesting hotel. Um, it was a uh, my comments below it on uh, seasickness. And uh, I wrote, uh, 
For those looking to avoid seasickness aboard a real ship, here are a few tips. Watch what you eat, avoid unusual smells, stay away from those who are prone to getting seasick, and if all else fails, get topside and look at the horizon. Seasickness is most often triggered by confusion in your brain, so like most activities aboard ship, the best prevention is a relaxed but occupied mind. Well, uh, I don't think too many people uh, are going to be flocking to the cruise ship in Turkey um, who are cruise ship enthusiasts. People uh, spend a lot of money on cruise ships because they enjoy the feel of the sea and uh, the allure of it. Uh, but it is an uh, option for those who do get seasick and, and a fairly good one because um, the seasickness is, is not fun at all. Uh, I, I've only gotten seasick once in my life. I was aboard a sailing uh, yacht, a small one, uh, in, in heavy seas, 20 to uh, 30-foot seas. And I was down below cooking lasagna when the kerosene lamp above broke. And uh, in addition to the yacht uh, tossing about and me being down below, the smell of the lasagna combined with the smell of kerosene uh, was enough to uh, uh, tip the balance. And uh, I had a miserable few minutes while I stumbled topside. Um, but once I was topside, I looked at the horizon and uh, felt much better and was actually able to go back down and clean up the mess. Um, but it's one of the first questions people ask me after they find out my profession and what I do for a living. They said, Are you, do you get seasick? It comes up all the time. And I find it unusual question because I guarantee this is not a profession I would be in if I did get seasick. People who get seasick look quite miserable. Um but you know there 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 are ways to to avoid it, and um, uh, what you eat is is very important. Uh, if you have a heavy meal laden with grease, um, the type found on, on cruise ships, um, you, you're going to be a lot more prone uh, to the to the disorder. Smells smells is the the biggest trigger for um, seasickness. Um, it can really set you off the edge. It's what set me off over the edge. And uh, it's usually unusual smells. Um, uh, ones you're not used to on a normal basis, uh, the, the, whether it's petroleum or um, the smells we would rather not talk about here on this podcast. Or, um, uh, you know, just something out of the ordinary food food does it a lot and obviously um uh, vomit the smell of vomit uh can trigger people but uh that that can that can always always set it off um so the the real solution uh the short term solution is to go topside and look at the horizon this does two things for you first when you're aboard ship a uh, ship in heavy weather, the only thing that is going to be stable is the horizon. Everything else is moving about and uh, and and it's going to confuse your brain. Um, uh, but the horizon is always steady. That's why we use it as the fixed basis for our celestial observations. So we point the sextant at it and always bring the star down to the horizon because it's fixed. It's a known point. It's not moving. 
so so getting topside and looking at the horizon, uh, the other thing it does is as the ship's moving, there's always uh, wind, whether it's actual wind or self-generated. Uh, the wind is going to wipe away the uh, any smells uh, that you're experiencing and really clear your palate. Um, and that's the reason it's so effective. Uh, the the other thing and the most controversial uh, tip with seasickness is um, is to to not believe in it. Uh, there are obviously medical facts uh, as to the legitimacy of seasickness. I don't think anyone's doubting that it does exist, and there are medical reasons behind it. But you really have to go into the attitude of I'm not the type of person who gets seasick. This is not something I'm subject to, and um, uh, if it happens, it would be unusual for me. Because uh, going into a situation, heavy weather, worrying about seasickness, wondering if you're going to be prone to it, uh, most uh, most likely you are. Uh, if you if you go into it thinking, hey, this is this is not me, this is something that's mental, um, you're going to be a, a lot safer. And uh, you know the the real having having seen many seasick people, um, um, you know it, it is something that is is absolutely miserable. Though the worst part of it is you you can't escape. If looking at the horizon doesn't work for you, you're really stuck there until uh, the storm passes over, which can be days. Um, so it's a it's it's a bad situation. On top of that, it can be a medically dangerous situation. And every lifeboat contains enough uh, seasickness pills for the full complement of people. And everyone is required to take a seasickness pills, whether they're prone to it or not, uh, when they get on board. Um, not only is a small boat going to be tossed around uh, a lot, a lot um, more than the ship, uh, which is obviously in trouble, and it could be because of the heavy seas, uh, there are also people in close quarters, and at least one of them is going to vomit. Uh, vomit's going to create smell. Uh, just the looking at someone seasick can can get you thinking about it and make you seasick. So uh, you know it's going to be a domino effect. And uh, the problem is not the actual sickness itself. Uh, you're in a life or death situation here. Um, whether how you how you feel going through it is is not the most important. The most important thing is surviving, and the fact is when you vomit, uh, vomit contains a lot of water, and you're going to get dehydrated. So everyone's required to take the seasickness pills prior to getting on the lifeboat to uh, keep their hydration levels up. But that's, uh, that's my tips on uh, seasickness, um, and uh, talking to other people, you're always going to get more tips. Um, uh, we had a... Uh, a real salty maid who used to tell us, eat only saltines and uh, lemon juice. And uh, I've never tried that one myself. But um, both on our forum and on our the post itself for comments and telling you uh, a few other ways to uh, prevent the seasickness. So, interesting story. This week we have uh, three internet ports call for you. We'll just cover them very briefly here. Um, the first one I have relates to my sea story, which is about the Olympics. And um, you'd be hard pressed to find sailing coverage in ABC's prime time uh, coverage. You know, it's all gymnastics and Michael Phelps. Uh, 
and uh, track and field, but um, not really a lot of sailing. I don't even remember seeing a mention of sailing. Um, I'm not really sure what's happens on the other NBC TV channels. I haven't really found them on on uh, uh, the the coverage on those um, all that interesting, um, and I haven't really spent that much time looking, frankly. But um, I did poke around the NBC Olympics website, and that's NBCOlympics.com. And if you go forward slash sailing, there is an incredible amount of coverage of sailing. Um, there's a lot of video coverage, um, very good video coverage, including the race that I just read the story, Gary Jobson's story to you. Um, that is covered um, in the video. So if you have any interest in sailing, um, you should definitely check out the NBC Olympics forward slash sailing website. All the standings, the schedules, the results, the, by the time you listen to this, the sailing is long over. But um, I uh, hope they probably will keep this up and let you see the videos of the different races and uh, learn a little bit more about sailing over there. It's definitely worthwhile. You can definitely lose some time over there, and uh, I think uh, I think it's worthwhile. Um, my second Internet protocol actually is uh, about a post I wrote um, earlier this week called Admiral Thad Allen is My Friend. And that's over at the Sea Fever blog. That's sea dash F-E-V-E-R dot O-R-G, C-Fever with a dash, dot org. And basically, um, this post was about uh, uh, Thad Allen, who's a commandant of the U.S. Coast Guard, has a Facebook page. And um, I learned about that through the unofficial Coast Guard blog, which we've reported on here. It was one of our internet ports call in the past. They brought it to our attention. They had a post, the 48 watch is secure. And um, it just kind of intrigued me. So I went to Facebook and I checked out um, – I'm uh, on Facebook and I checked out uh, the Admiral um, Allen's uh, page. Actually, you know, you can't see somebody's page, but you can see who their friends are and stuff. And uh, anyway, I said, you know, what the hey, I'm going to just uh, friend the guy. So I hit friend and then I started paging through his friends. And by the time I got to the M's, I, he uh, had – about 300 Facebook friends. By the time I got to the M's, I had already been approved as a friend. So I, of course, attributed this to my very intelligent note and extraordinary profile that he reviewed when he uh, got my friend request. And he said, wow, this guy, Peter Mello, um, is awesome. And I should definitely um, friend him because he'll probably mention this on the Messing About and Ships podcast. Um, not. That's a joke. Um, I'm sure there's some there kind of automatic uh, reply or friend system or whatever. Or somebody at Coast Guard Center is probably assigned solely to make sure that uh, ad the Admiral's friends get uh, friended back. Um, regardless, um, the point of my post was I found it uh, really refreshing, exciting that a leader of this stature, of this profile, a government leader, it could be a corporate leader. I mean, so few people um, engage in social media at these levels, and I think it's refreshing and exciting um, to see um, Admiral Allen in Facebook. And um, I'm sure a lot of that stuff in there is being posted by staff, but um, it does look like there's some um, his direct contact in there. He favorited a song um, on YouTube, um, and uh, there's a comment here. Thad is recovering from my seven-year-old grandson's pool party, which was a status update. So, you know, 
I just uh, give him a lot of credit for uh, engaging and being involved. I recommended everybody in the Coast Guard should definitely follow this page to get a better understanding of what their leader is uh, up to. Lots of pictures, so you can see what he does as he travels around the country. And um, I think uh, leaders of any type of organization, um, whether they be government, uh, corporate, nonprofit, should take note of uh, the power of uh, potential power of using something like Facebook to uh, convey a message. That's really what leadership is about. So um, anyway, check it out. If you're on Facebook, try and friend them. Hopefully they'll friend you back. Um, and then no sooner when something like that happens, of course, um, uh, on Twitter, today as I came home, I uh, got a follower, a new follower, and I uh, was uh, thought it was pretty funny. We have now the fake Thad Allen on Twitter. So, so while hopefully we have the real Admiral Thad Allen in Facebook, we have uh, a fake Thad Allen on Twitter, twittering about life in the Coast Guard. It's kind of funny. I mean... You know, most people probably have heard of the fake Steve Jobs, and there's other fake uh, people out there on on Twitter, fake uh, John Dvorak, and so on. But um, it's uh, kind of uh, humorous, and uh, it looked all all in good fun when I saw it. He only had a handful of friends, and only had less than ten posts, I think, or twenty posts, maybe top um, on Twitter. But uh, nonetheless, kind of humorous. So um, if you're on Twitter, uh, friend the fake. Um, that Allen, and I'm sure he'll friend you back. We always look forward to hearing from listeners, getting their contributions, uh, getting a better understanding of what you like, don't like, what you might like to hear more of, um, any new topics um, that might be particularly interesting to you. Uh, and you can get us in a number of ways, through the show blog at messingaboutinships.com, uh, via email at podcast at messingaboutinships.com, you can get John over at gcaptain.com, and he's got the blog and the forums and the Mariner web tools, including the conference schedule uh, calendar. Um, great stuff over there. You can get me at seafever.org, and that's S-E-A-F-E-V-E-R.org. That's c-fever.org. And you can get us at Skype, which is M-A-I-S podcast. That's M-A-I-S podcast. That's a Skype ID. And finally, you can get us at uh, our Skype in number, which is 206-973-7000. 206-973-7000. If you send uh, a record, a, a message there, it turns into an MP3, and we'll figure out a way to integrate it into the show. So there's no excuse for not getting a hold of us, and we look forward to hearing from you. As usual, this week's music comes to us from the Podsafe Music Network, and the artist's name is Jenny Dalton, and she's a Minneapolis-based singer-songwriter, and her influences are Tori Amos and Kate Bush. Um, this song is called Married to the Sea, and we hope you enjoy it, and look forward to talking to you next week. something calling me there 
There's nothing.